there's so many shadows that we can't light up, no matter how many flashlights we have, no matter how many candles we burn. There's just some things that we can't do. But God, there's not a single thing that you can't do. I take that back. The only thing you can't do is fail. And so, God, this morning we ask that you speak to each and every one of us, whether it's through song, whether it's through the message that uh, Brother Jason brings this morning, or whether it's through anything else that happens. There's passing somebody in the hallway, a smile, a, a, sh- a handshake, you know, whatever it may be, God, speak to each and every individual in here the way that you see fit and the way that you know each one of us needs. God, we thank you so much for loving us, and we thank you for that, that love. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> if you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We are in a uh, series of messages on the Lord's Prayer, which is built inside of a, uh, a two-year journey for us, uh, which began on the first Sunday of January. Through, what, uh, through the life of Christ, which we're calling the real Jesus. And so what we have looked at so far in the first six weeks of the year is how did the real Jesus pray and how does that inform us on how we should pray? Because this prayer is often referred to as the model prayer. And the reason for that is, is that in Luke's account of this prayer, Luke chapter 11 the disciples are actually asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. So this morning we find ourselves coming towards the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer as we arrive in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6. And so let's look at that verse together this morning. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus oriented the Lord's Prayer in order to reorient our hearts because our hearts fluctuate between order and disorder. Does anybody know anything about that this morning? About the fluctuation of your heart? (laughs) We need daily ordering. We may not believe that we do, but we do. And this is the design for the Lord's Prayer. In this section, Jesus wants to reorient our relationship with our Father, because remember, that's how this prayer starts, our Father, and with our fellow man. Before we see how this section reorients our relationship with our Father and fellow man, let's first establish a clear understanding of what this word forgive means. Forgive is a word used to indicate the sending away of an object or a person. The Old Testament provides a clear picture of this action in Leviticus 16.20. On the Day of Atonement, one goat was offered as a sin offering, while a second goat would symbolically have the sins of the people placed on him and then released into the wilderness. Forgiveness is a voluntary release of a person or a thing over which one has legal or actual control. It means to abandon, to leave behind, to be done with, and to go on to other things. 
forgive is a verb. Now, this may not mean much to you, but this is important. So just hang tight while I do a little theological uh, rendering here. It's a verb in what is called the aorist active imperative. You're like, what does that mean? It simply signifies that an, that an action is to be carried out effectively and urgently. Effectively and urgently. Forgiveness carries an expectation of exhaustion, which means it needs to be completely done, and expediency, which means it needs to be done right now. In preparing for this sermon, I came across a story concerning TV personality Aaron Andrews. A man named Michael Barrett secretly filmed Andrews in her Nashville Marriott hotel room in 2008. He went on to post his inappropriate video online. Barrett was arrested and pleaded guilty in 2009. Keep these dates in mind. Event 2008, found guilty 2009. He began serving time in prison. In a 2017 interview, nine years after the act had been perpetrated, Megan Kelly asked Andrews if she could ever forgive Barrett for his actions. Without hesitation, she replied, No, never. She went on to say, I have to, relive, I have to re relive it all the time. It has shaped who I am as a person. It messed with my family, and you don't get any pass for doing that, end quote. Medical science tells us that forgiveness is necessary for both mental and physical well-being. All types of health issues, such as heart attacks, blood pressure, and depression are associated with unforgiveness. Forgiveness literally weakens our immune system's ability to fight off disease. Jesus' teaching on forgiveness is not directed towards physical but spiritual health. Though our obedience does provide an indirect physical benefit, Jesus does not want us to forgive for the sake of of our endocrine or lymphatic system, but for our soul. Forgiveness is not a matter of health, but listen to me this morning, of heaven and hell. Jesus designed this section of the Lord's Prayer to preserve our salvation and to prove our salvation. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says these words, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The verbs repent and believe are presented in what is called the present continuous tense, which literally means that the verse reads this way, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Go on repenting and believing. You see, repentance... And believing is not a one-time event. If you think you're on your way to heaven because you repented one time and you believe one time, then you are sadly mistaken. You do not know or understand the gospel. The gospel is that we live daily repenting and believing. That's the mark of a Christian. Not perfection, but repentance and belief.
The Lord's Prayer preserves our salvation. So let's take a look at that. This is the design of this section of the prayer. How many of us begin our prayers confessing sins? How many of you, not looking for a raise of hand, but just think about it. How many of you begin your prayers confessing your sin? It's interesting, in the Lord's Prayer, confession of sin is located at the end, not at the beginning. This opposition reinforces our need for reorientation. The fact that we typically begin our prayer with confession shows us how badly we misunderstand prayer. Our Father designed the beginning of our prayer to give us an Isaiah 6 experience. Now remember, we, when we started this, we were looking at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, and we said, look, there's a design here. God's doing something. He's got an order the, in, the, in the order in which he put the Lord's Prayer. So the Isaiah, what I call the Isaiah 6, 6 experience is we need both woe and wow. Look at the verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. All right, so what is he doing? He's getting a picture of who God really is. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the fountains of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah, Isaiah's experience began with what? Woe is me. He has seen the Lord in all of his holiness, in all of his glory. But it just doesn't end with woe is me because God never leaves us in woe is me. He takes us to wow. He's, and how does, how does Isaiah end? He says, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In our sermon on hallowing our Father, we said failure to hallow God's name would lead us to botch the remainder of the Lord's prayer. You remember how we, when we talked about hallowing God's name, we said that in hallowing, we behold who God is, then we, uh, we began to think about who God is, and then we began to appraise God for who he is, and that leads us to expressing who God is. Our Father's name allows us to experience both woe and wow. This experience fine-tunes our heart for what is to come. You see, in those opening lines where we are, where we're set, we're, we're looking at who God is and we're thinking about who God is and we're comparing God to everything else in this world and then we began to overflow out of praise and worship and adoration because of that. All of that is, is, is preparing us 
to experience this woe moment when we really when we really begin to realize who we are and who God is. But that leads us in the end to experience this moment of wow. But even more so what it's doing, it's setting us up to arrive at this part of the Lord's Prayer in a manner where our hearts are tuned for confession, tuned for repentance. You see, praying forgive us our debts reinforces a dominant design in the Lord's Prayer, and that is dependence. We are incapable of paying the debt that we owe. Many have asked, why must Christians continually ask for forgiveness when they are completely forgiven? Well, let me explain it to you in this way. Our initial request is to the judge of the universe, asking him to reconcile us to himself. Our subsequent request is to our Father asking for restoration. Sin causes relational issues, right? How many of sin causes issues in your personal relationships? How many of you are in an issue right now this morning because of sin? In Psalm 51, David candidly shares sin's relational impact. You know, Psalm 51 is written because David has had an affair with Bathsheba, and then she has gotten pregnant as, as a result of that. And as a result of that, David plotted to kill a man named Uriah. And Uriah was a friend of David's. He was one of uh, David's top generals. And he devises this plan and has Uriah killed to cover up his sin. And then David's sin is exposed. It's, he's found out. And he writes Psalms 51 in response to this situation in his life. In verse 2, he says that sin soils the same. In verse 3, he says that sin saturates our mind. He, he can't shake loose of it. In verses 8 and 12, it saddens the heart. In verse 8, he says it even sickens the body. In verse 10, it sours our spirit. And then in verse 13 through 15, he says, My lips are sealed. He can't even praise God. Jesus demonstrated the answer to this question about continued forgiveness after salvation. When he washed his disciples' feet, in John chapter 13, verses 5 through 10, the scripture records this. This is the upper room. Then he poured out water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, what, am I, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon said, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head basically wash me from head to toe. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. You see what Jesus is demonstrating there? Peter had already received the forgiveness of his sin, but the, but the illustration is, as we walk through our daily life in a sinful world, we cannot totally avoid the stain of sin on our life. And so that's why the disciples' feet needed to be washed. Jesus was saying, Peter, you don't need, you don't need total forgiveness again. What you need is forgiveness of today's sins. Jesus teaches us to daily petition the Father 
Why? Because God is forgiving. You're never closer to the grace of Jesus than when you confess your sins to him. As judge, God is eager to forgive sinners. As father, he is even more zealous to keep on forgiving his children. Scripture says, Thou art a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. The father demonstrates his zealousness to forgive in the story of the prodigal son. The father, who is the victim of the son's sin, ran to the prodigal, the perpetrator. Forgiveness is not about recompense, but reconciliation and restoration. The Lord's Prayer is a daily reminder confirming our Father's commitment to us. A prayer designed to anchor a heart that is prone to drift. A prayer purpose to preserve our salvation. A petition of preservation. But the last truth that I want to show you from the Lord's Prayer this morning Not only is the Lord's Prayer a preservation for our salvation, but it proves our salvation. It proves our salvation. Now, I want to go ahead and warn you, these last few minutes are probably going to be the toughest of the sermon. They're going to be the most uncomfortable of the sermon. They're going to cause you to either want to run away from here or cause you to look deep into your heart and to examine your heart at this moment in time in your life. Our new birth experience establishes an expectation of forgiveness towards our fellow man. When we ask God to forgive us, we declare to him that we have forgiven those indebted to us. Furthermore, we say to God that there is no bitterness and no unforgiving and no unforgiveness in us. Matthew 6:11 sets the st- sets the forgiveness standard which God follows. Now listen very closely. Matthew 6:11 sets the forgiveness standard which God follows. We establish the pattern in how God deals with us. When you pray this prayer, you are saying, "Oh God, deal with me as I deal with other people. Deal with me as I have dealt with others." Matthew 6, 14 and 15. This is, at the end of the, this is at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus reinforces this. Look, at, look on the screen. For if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I didn't say that. Jesus did. While a missionary in Georgia, John Wesley met General Oglethorpe. In one conversation, Oglethorpe informed Wesley, I never forgive, end quote. To which Wesley responded, then, sir, I hope you never sin. The basis of forgiveness is the truth that God in Christ has forgiven us, not on what is fair. You cannot reconcile the words forgiveness and fairness. Once our eyes see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear, by comparison, to be extremely trifling. Jesus taught us in Matthew 18 that to withhold forgiveness proves that we are not a part of his kingdom. 
Now listen to what, let, 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 me, let me stop here for one second and stress something. I'm not talking about struggling with forgiveness. I'm talking about the Aaron Andrews mentality of no, never. Do you understand that? There, there, there are people that I have been forgiving for many years now. We talked about it in our life group. And, and, and here's how I fight that battle in my heart. Lord, what they did to me is nothing in comparison to what I have done to you. If you can forgive me of what I have done to you, then I can forgive anyone of any sin committed against me. Matthew 18 says, The guy had been forgiven by the king this enormous debt. If you multiplied it out, the man owed the king 200,000 years of wages. And he goes out, and one man owes him a few dollars, and he has that man thrown in jail because he can't pay the debt. And Jesus ends the parable by saying that the king has the man who had been forgiven much, who was unwilling to forgive little, thrown into jail into outer darkness. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that Christians forgive, and people who have never been forgiven don't forgive. You are never closer to the grace of God than when you confess your sins to Christ. You are never more like Jesus than when you forgive those who have sinned against you. It is true to err is human, but to forgive is divine. Corey Ten Boom once uh, said, You're, You never so touch the ocean of God's love as when you forgive and love your enemies. Corey Ten Boom was the author of The Hiding Place. She was taken captive and spent time in Nazi concentration camps during World War II. While in prison, Corey saw an incredible abuse, so inhumane that it drove the prisoners to unimaginable deaths. So listen to this. Including intentionally allowing lice to breed on their bodies because the more lice they had, the less likely it would be that the guards would molest them. And Corey even witnessed the death of her own sister. After the war, God sent Corey on a mission of mercy through the war-torn cities to encourage residents to choose forgiveness over bitterness. She would motivate her audience by sharing some of the atrocities she experienced, implying that if she forg could forgive such horrors, horrors, so could her listeners. One night speaking, she immediately recognized the man who came walking down the aisle as a particularly cruel guard in one of the concentration camps. The man did not recognize her, however. As he approached Corey, he said, You don't know me. But I was a guard in one of those camps. After the war, God saved me. I wish I could go back and undo those years. I can't, but I've just been prompted by God to come tonight and ask you, would you please forgive me? Then he extended his hand to her. Can you imagine the horrible thoughts and memories that raced through Corey's mind as she recognized his face and even worse, heard his incredible plea for forgiveness? How could she? Her arms froze at her side, and she was unable to move. The flashbacks in her mind replaying the atrocities, the death of her sister, the abuse. And then God's Spirit said to her, Corey, 
what you have been telling everyone else to do. As an act of your will, will you choose to forgive? Corey went on to explain what happened next. She said, I reached out my hand and I put it in his and I said, you are forgiven. She later reported that at that moment, it was like a dam broke loose. All the bitterness and resentment went away. God had set her free. Jesus commands all those who follow him to forgive because sin is natural and forgiveness is not. A non-Christian can forgive for they bear God's image. Yet their forgiveness does not make them a Christian. However, a true follower of Christ cannot withhold forgiveness. It is impossible. If your life has experienced forgiveness, then your lifestyle is forgiveness. If your life has experienced forgiveness, your lifestyle is forgiveness. Two truths are evident in scriptures for those who claim heavenly citizenship. The forgiveness of personal sin and the forgiveness of those who have sinned against you. You can forgive others and not be forgiven, but you cannot be forgiven and not forgive others. Let me read the passage to you one more time. Listen. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. A completely forgiven sinner must completely forgive. When we forgive, we enter into a small experience of Jesus' life. Jesus absorbed all the punishment due our sin. Listen, if you're forgiven this morning, we've sung about forgiveness all morning, right? We've sung about what Christ has done for us. If he has really done all of that for you, if he has truly absorbed all the punishment due your sin, then we can forgive. When we forgive, we abandon our rights to punish those who have sinned against us. Jesus does not forget our sin because he's omniscient. He no longer holds our sin against us, and we should treat others likewise. You say, brother, is that all you got to say this morning? That's it. But you got a lot to do. Some in this room this morning have never had their sins forgiven to begin with. And this morning, you need your sins forgiven. How do you do that? Well, you first have to see that you're a sinner. And then you have to see that Christ is the only hope for forgiveness. And by faith, you pray. And you ask the God of the universe based on the work of his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive you of your sin. And I promise you, you will be completely forgiven. And then you go forward from this day forward, and you daily repent and keep believing in what you first believed and repented. 
But Christian, this morning, if you are holding on to unforgiveness and you claim Christ, and you go to your grave holding your unforgiveness, know this, that when you draw your final breath, you should have no hopes of waking up in, in heaven. None. I didn't say forgiveness was easy. Forgiveness was hard. Forgiveness is hard. I didn't say you probably have to forgive that person one time. You may have to spend the rest of your life daily forgiving the sin that has been sinned against you. But you can do it. Why? Because Christ has forgiven your infinite debt. You can forgive any debt that's against you. And you know what? No wonder people don't want to come to church. And no wonder people don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Because when we start preaching our message of forgiveness, people begin to look at us and look at the way we treat other people. And you know what they say? It must be a lie. It just can't be true. Because if it were, wouldn't those folks who have been forgiven be forgiving? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Are you forgiven? If not, why don't you, by faith, just begin to talk to the Lord in simple words and simple as you know how and ask him to forgive you and save you. And if you have been forgiven and you're withholding forgiveness, then I'm going to ask you this morning, even as this song plays and as we sing to close our service, that you would seek the Lord's forgiveness and you would seek the Lord's help in helping you to forgive those that you continue to hold unforgiveness against. And then this morning, as we sing this final song of worship, we do have our communion table available. And if anybody wants to go to the communion table and partake of the Lord's uh, body as a remembrance of what he has done for you, and as a symbol of your recommitment to leaving this place today, committed to living out the Christian life of forgiveness, then we invite you just to, anytime during this song, just to make your way to the Lord's table and to partake.